are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point Number Nine, a tennis bets podcast. I'm one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis on Twitter and all the socials these days. If this is your first time listening, chances are you found us. Welcome, hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. If I sound a little different, I'm a bit under the weather. Summer cold over here. With me, as always, my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. I thought your voice was like that because, like, you know, those Canadians have been pushing their brush fire winds over this way. I don't know what's going on, but we're on the other side of the country. It's it's not really reaching us. But uh, yeah, yeah California, well, it's not our not us for once, thankfully. <laughs> I know, right? We usually we're the ones starting it. So, yeah, welcome back, guys. We finally made it to the semis at the French Open. We finally watch Novak versus Alcaraz. So I'm pretty stoked. And then there's that other match that we don't care too much about, but we'll still cover it. So let's get into it. Yes, we're going to dive into both of these French Open semis here. Let's take it from California to Canada. A man who I hope is not responsible for the wildfires. Uh, I assume not. Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis on Twitter. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, welcome in. And uh, yeah, how's the air quality for you, my man? Uh, technically, it's not that great, but I was out yesterday getting my exercise. I did 15,000 steps outside. I didn't cough. I didn't get tired more, like fatigued more quickly. It's okay here in Toronto. What happened was... It's come from the other coast. So instead of your coast, it's the Atlantic coast this time. It's out, pardon me, in Nova Scotia. Or I think it's Nova Scotia, yeah. And it, it's been so bad, the smoke ends up blowing west, and it turns south right. So we're on, like, the outer, outer, outer band of the smoke, and you can smell it outside. Like, I can, if you go outside, it smells like a bonfire everywhere in Toronto. But you can't see it. You're not coughing. You're not feeling it when you're breathing. So we're on, like, it's the very minimal impact. It's But, like, New York, obviously everyone saw the New York City pictures uh, New England is probably getting it pretty bad. So it the majority of it turned to go down south just before it reached west enough to to impact us. So I, I've been lucky. But uh, yeah, it's a bad situation out east. I haven't been in Nova Scotia since April. So it's been a month and a half. My alibi is locked up. Yes. And the Hogaruna Casper Rude match happened after the fires had already started. So we can't blame those Runa tickets, uh, lighting those on fire for, for what happened either. Because <laughs> all those Runa tickets went up in flames. We'll get into it here. In our accountability segment, we call what did we win? What did we learn? Wins. How about Karen Hachana plus seven and a half versus Novak Djokovic? Got a little sweaty in the fourth, but comes in. Thank you. Alcaraz, minus two and a half sets at plus 115. Also a little sweaty. Alcaraz loves getting broken and serving it out. Happened twice here in the third set in Roland Garros here against Tsitsipas. Also happened in the first match against Kaboli. Also happened against Nuno Borges in Barcelona. So uh, I don't, not enough to really think it's a problem, but enough for me to be a little concerned. I don't know. Seems, seems to be something. Also, our ringer that we brought in, Zach Cohen. At underscore ZCO. They call him Zico on the Tennis Bets podcast. And he also is a writer for VSIN. He tipped Rude plus 300 to win his quarter on this very podcast way back in our preview episode. And that came in. And also with Hachanov winning the first set, I don't know how many people did, but actually Zach tweeted out if you were holding that that 125 to 1 ticket to, to win it all, you, you did have a hedge opportunity in the end. 
So there you go. Yeah, he was about minus 200. So if you had the overall tournament, right, you certainly had room to get down some cash there if you, if you thought Novak was coming back. I only had the quarter ticket, so I left it. It was a very small bet anyway, because 200 just minus 200 wasn't enough with the amount of profit I would have been able to secure and the cost. But if you had more room to work with, I think the overall outright ticket certainly, I mean, I think at minus 200 there, I would certainly be backing Novak with that much room to work with and equity to extract. So I I would hope everyone who did follow along at that number, there were some 140s out there too, would have hedged in that spot. If, of course, you had the time and you weren't sitting at your desk on a call or or with a customer or something because people have jobs too and it was midday. So that would have been a bitch if you saw that you had the chance and you were busy at work. Uh, But yeah, that, that was there for sure. All right, guys, we did experience some losses and they all came in the Runa Rude match. My set one over nine and a half was pretty much dead from the beginning. Uh, did start out pretty well, though. The first four points, Holger Runa had the nice service order and two break point chances. If he gets that break, little insurance in case uh, a break back, but nope, doesn't cash and uh, he fails to show up until the third set. The over eight and a half breaks goes down. Runa did get up to plus 115 on the money line, which I played torched. It was a weird one. If you want to say the fatigue angle was there, I would say it was more fitness than fatigue. And and by fitness, I mean, I just don't know what was going on with Holger. Mentally fit, physically fit. Very strange first two sets for Holger Runa in that one. I think there's something, there's something, this is where, again, people go to the head to head and that's, that's one way to do it. But if you can't contextualize or understand why it exists, it's not all that useful to you. I think we're starting to see why this head to head exists. Holger Runa looked as poor on return as Nico Jari did, if we're being honest. Were there opportunities? Sure. Did he not convert break points? Yes, throughout. Uh, But same goes for Nico. Like the Chilean had, I think, 17 or 18 break points. Like rude serve is not that big. It's just a lot of spin, and the heaviness is a different type of offensive weapon. People say this all the time. You, you see tweets about Egudge. It's not overwhelming power. How could the WTA let her do this and not beat her more often? Because I'd like to see people get out there and deal with the kind of spin that these shots are hit with. And there is power. It's not Sabalenka. It's not Rabakana. It's not the you know six-foot-tall player's kind of power that she possesses. But there's power there, and the spin... It comes off the court and you're like, it can shock you at how high and how fast it comes uh, through the court, right? When that, it takes off, it accelerates with that, with that top spin. Casper, that's what Casper has, right? It's not the biggest. It's not the most kind of eye popping power you're going to find, but the spin is very heavy. And I just think Runa has a good forehand. It's not a, it's not a weakness. He's got a very good backhand as well, but it's not like Zverev where it's a key off it, like key weakness for, for Runa. It's there, but. I think he has trouble in those forehand to forehand exchanges dealing with that kind of spin, the the kind of spin that Kasparud employs. And it's getting to be noticeable. He just looks terrible against Kasparud consistently. Even the one win, he was a set and breakdown. Let's be honest. I liked Holger in that matchup. I got lucky. That's one of those positive variance wins I consider when I look, when I make my arbitrary kind of frameworks for my good and bad luck, if you will. I said that in air quotations, it's more just variance and how it pans out positive to negative that would that falls into the positive when you're down a set and break and he didn't really look all that great until he got that break back in the second he struggles with casper and i think that's worth noting and yes you can you can just point to the head-to-head if you want but understanding why the head-to-head exists i think is far more important and to me that is what i'm seeing uh with him because cat like casper doesn't have a powerful enough game he doesn't have a big enough serve to really be that dominant on serve uh and he isn't against anyone else. But for some reason, Runa, like second serves into net, again, the kick, the heaviness, 
it really troubled him uh, to the point he couldn't even put them back in play a lot of the time. Derek, did you have any takeaway from the Runa Rude match? Besides Runa just being a complete baby and having to apologize to me on Twitter for losing that bet? Not really. I mean, it was just a collapse by Runa from the get-go, and then Rude just, you know, he was just solid throughout. I mean, that's the game he plays. He's pretty headstrong. He goes out, does what he can do, and he usually just kind of doesn't falter from that. He's not really one to you know, just bite the dust. He just took advantage of the situation. So, I mean, there wasn't too much to gain other than just can't really trust Runa in in big moments, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, he's still a good, good player. And it's hard for me to, to, you know, not have any trust in him going forward. So, no, I'm still on Runa's side. I hope we can just gut out those wins in the end and we'll find out. So... Let's see what he does at Wimbledon. It'll be interesting because, I mean, we played him as a plus 115 dog uh, in the quarterfinal here of Roland Garros. I mean, how many times is he going to be plus money uh, in that position moving forward? I would say probably not a ton, depending on unless he plays Alcaraz, maybe Medvedev. But he's beaten Medvedev. He's beaten Djokovic. So, obviously, you know, people are touting their, their big money line minus 130 win with rude and good on you for for that one but as a runa ticket holder that was that was tough one to watch because the kid was drawn dead from the start i just don't know what to make of it i don't think it was like fatigue i really don't think it was fatigue carried over from the sunrundle match it was not he was flying around the court he was not physically hampered and when he is he'll let you know it he's he's pretty not vocal what's the word i'm looking for emotive right you can see it on his face, but he's hunched over. He makes it known when he's fatigued, okay, when he's cramping. That was not the issue. He was flying around the court. He was missing everything. And like you said, like, tell your tickets all you want. That's fine. I'm, I'm up on the year. I'm up on the tournament. I'm having a nice time. I was on I was on the breaks, and I was on the uh, Runa over games, like team total kind of thing, or player total, if you will. So I had back Runa not on the money line. And I mean, I thought at one point, <laughs> there was like, is this going to happen? But neither came in because he was just so bad in the opening two sets. But I mean, this is one of those things where I I don't really get excited about winning bets unless, one, they're like huge underdogs, which is always nice. Or two, the analysis and the the handicap behind it, which I do release for, you know, almost daily, multiple times a week over on Patreon. I do do like 40-minute breakdowns match by match. Not each match 40 minutes, but overall. That's when I like or get excited about a bet winning is when you actually get the reason behind it correct. People are, are were betting that because of the head-to-head and the fatigue, bro. And like, honestly, you couldn't actually explain why you liked Root at minus 120 for the most part. And that's that's kind of what rubs me the wrong way is enjoy it when you're, when you're bet, that's fine. But just be more excited about bets where you actually got the reasoning right. You know, you spotted something that that made the, the price incorrect and exploited it rather than I just guess right, <laughs> you know, because it's kind of what the books want, right? They want people who predict outcomes and then just like go flip coins and they just eat up the VIG, right? That, that's kind of what they're out there for. So that's kind of my annoyance, if you will, with with the people celebrating Root more so than them celebrating the win. We also lost your over 39. Forgot to mention that as well. I wasn't on over games. Like, come on, Runa. Like, at least pull together a little bit in those first two sets. Like, yeah, it was kind of a hard one to watch for me. The total and the breaks prop were both live if he can get out that fourth set. I don't know if he wins in the fifth set, but weird one. In the other quarterfinal, the Zverev Echeverry, we didn't really have a a pick. We we, we talked that one out, thought it would be a a beatdown. It more or less was. Echeverry does get the cover. Uh, and it does go for sets, but I don't feel like, I don't know. Did you guys ever feel like Zverev was ever in any real danger of losing that match? No. no. 
I would say, like, do you remember at the top of the Golden Swing when we talked up Echeverry? I feel like we were on that guy early, though. Oh, look out for this guy. Isn't this a guy that people are expecting big things from? I think with him, it's he's one of those guys where it, it, nothing is noticeably bad in his game. But at the same time, you know he needs to improve stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have a, a visible weakness. The backhand isn't as bad as even I thought it was, or it wasn't at least as maybe it was like four, three, four months ago, and it's improved within the season. But there's something just missing. I hate those cliches and, and kind of vague kind of, breakdowns but it's true it's just his game isn't overwhelming and there's nothing you watch like wow he is going to be really good someday the forehand is a weapon it's not elite i would say the serve isn't elite i think he that's the next step if he wants to make it you know into that quarter or sorry semi-final final of a slam of the french he's never he's not making the quarter final of another slam so the french or start winning bigger tournaments or being a contender at, the, at, at bigger events because he has he moves well he's got a great forehand he's he's got tools but i don't think they're sharpened enough, if you will, to prolong that metaphor. We'll be interested to see how he does on grass. I know he took Umberto took five sets on grass last year, so uh, definitely not someone to t- totally toss as a, a natural clay quarter. All right, guys. Well, there's two matches left, one of them with the makings of the match of the year. But before we dig into those, I'm going to talk about Spotify for podcasters. All right, guys. Carlitos Alcaraz is taking on Novak Djokovic and highly anticipated semi-final people are salivating i'm excited i can't wait to wake up at 5 30 my time to get settled in for this thing just so excited for that uh couldn't have been the night match huh alcaraz is a three and a half game favorite it's expensive three and a half it's minus 120 on bovada but online yeah it's minus 120 there as well on the money line alcaraz is minus 210 Djokovic is plus 170 the total is at 38 and a half alcaraz won their only head-to-head Six seven seven five seven six in Madrid last year. This was on the heels of a potential Alcaraz injury. Alcaraz guts out a tiebreak win. That was a great match. So hopefully we get those fireworks once again. And I'll give my first blush reaction to the numbers here. And I mean the value has to wholeheartedly be on the Novak side to me. Alcaraz should be the favorite given what we've seen from him this clay season versus what we've seen from Novak. And he does have a win against Novak on the clay, which I'm sure factored into that number. Um, but Novak has been much more tested in Paris here. Uh, somehow only dropped a set so far. He's gotten great efforts from Fokina and Hachanov. Well, Akraz is a couple of completely dead efforts from a melatonin-laced Stefano Tsitsipas and uh, Musetti did a disappearing act. Personally, I think Novak should be closer to the plus 140, 130 range. But that said... I'm not sure this is a, a bet on value match or, or proposition. In dead agreement there. Is that this expression, dead agreement? I don't think so. But we're going to go with it, okay? We're going to go with it. I, I think that's that's a perfect breakdown. If I was to bet a side here, it would probably be Novak. But man, I don't think I can. And I mean, when you think about it, like I'm certainly not betting a spread. It's funny because if I bet a money line, I bet Novak. If I bet a spread, I bet Carlos. I see that's where the whole like, numbers part of it versus predicting outcomes comes into play because someone's like how how could you do that how could you bet Alcaraz minus three if you're gonna bet a spread but like Novak money line well because I think percentage-wise the close matches I'm, I'm gonna want Novak in he's just more proven in, in in this scenario he's a little more solid and I mean you're getting a like a plus 185 is a lot but I also completely agree with you that it should it be a little bit lower probably is it enough to entice me into betting him against Alcaraz who's just been ripping through the field no, no, it's not. Uh, so I'm sure I'm probably gonna sit this one out. I love 
the other match in terms of betting value. And so I have an article to write for betting expert tomorrow and I'm just going to use that match. And I almost feel bad because I know I might just write up this one too for free and be like, here, like take this because it, it, it's just a disgrace to not have what it could be the match of the year not written up on the set. So I'll just throw that one in as like a preview, but um, the actual betting preview will, will be on the other match. I have some stuff we can talk about here. So we know Novak has had service game issues. He's been broken at least once in his last 13 matches, dating back to the Dubai final that he lost to Medvedev. In that set, he was broken against a Chadov. He landed only 58% of his first serves and went 7 of 18 or 39% on his second serve, which helped lead to seven breakpoint opportunities for the Russian. Now in the second and third, his serve course corrected. Won 18 of 21 second serve opportunities, didn't face a break point. But then in the fourth, when Hachanov was able to find a break again, the second serve points, uh, one percentage dipped back down to 50% with seven of 14. So Alcaraz hasn't had a match yet here at Roland Garros where he hasn't generated double digit break point opportunities. If this gets to a tie break, I mean, this is where Novak has really channeled the inner game. Novak is yet to commit an unforced error in a tie break at Roland Garros in five tie breaks now for the Alcaraz side the unforced errors are always a concern and they are there but they are dipping down 30 against Kobali, 36 against Daniel 24 against Shapo 23 against Musetti 20 against Steph I see we got some per game numbers here so that's yeah I, I go ahead I, I figured it was smart just because if one of them goes five sets obviously his unforced error total is going to be higher so with that four setter against Daniel if you put it into context that those six extra errors in the Kobe match were about the same when you when you factor in the game, amount of games played. And like you said, they've been reduced, and they've been reduced on a per-game basis each and every match since that. Yeah, started at 1.15 per game, and he's got it down to 0.71 per game coming into this. Derek, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I think that Carlos is going to win, and I think the hard part is just trying to find value anywhere to bet this. Okay, so hear me out. Bovada's got this prop bet. It's Alcaraz to win the first service game, first set, and the match is plus 110. Okay, so there's that. And there's also a prop bet that Alcaraz to win from behind is plus 400. So winning from behind, I'm assuming that means you, you're down a set, right? Yeah. I don't, okay, I guess that's just from any other time. No, I was thinking that if you were to lose that first set then you lose your first bet that one where he has to win the first service game win the first set and then win the match so if he loses the first set then you can kind of have your eggs in the um in the carlos to win from behind at the plus 400 so i think there's a crafty way of playing that uh for alcaraz to win to win the overall match rather than just playing the minus 200 money line I don't know. So that's one way to look at it. I might just play that first bet where he just wins the first game, first set and the match. But I mean, that second bet is coming from behind at plus 400. It's not a bad look to sprinkle something on that. If you're just looking at only wanting to play the minus, what, 200 money line, 210. The Djokovic over three and a half breaks is minus 150. And this is another one where if you think it's going four or five sets, one, it's not likely to have 12, 12 holds and, and Novak win the tiebreak. I think he's probably the better tiebreak player as much as that can exist just because he's been so damn good at not hitting errors in tiebreaks so far this tournament, which is huge because every point and every mini break is worth so much more 
than a standard point in, in, in the rest of the set. But I don't think it's likely to have 12 holds to get to that tie break in a single set. And if you think it's going four or five, he's going to have a built-in break or two along the way. His number's only three and a half. Juiced, it's minus 150 and there's no waltz. So really that number they're probably telling you is four to four and a half at minus 110-ish. But they're not, obviously, it's not posted. I don't hate that even at a minus 150 price tag because Carlos's serve is getting better and he's holding a lot, a lot more, I think, efficiently. And the plus one forehand has really helped in that regard. It's super aggressive. He's absolutely hammering them and he's getting a lot more cheap points that way rather than letting points build up, prolong. And that, I think, by the way, speaks to the stat you, you referred to that you had in the write-up as well, the, the reduction in unforced errors. You keep the point shorter, you're, you're less likely to hit unforced errors, right? I think he's been good with that. That said, Novak Djokovic is the greatest returner of all time, one of the best clay quarters of all time. And he's a very smart guy, too. He knows damn well. This is narrative-based, so take it with a grain of salt. Even though it's me telling you it, I'm still going to say take it with a grain of salt because all narrative should be in a handicap. But he is a very smart guy, and I think he knows damn well He's not escaping this match against the athleticism and talent of Carlos Alcaraz without being broken several times. Like, he knows his return game is going to have to be there if he wants to win this match. Period. Three and a half seems like a really low number. And Carlos is his five and a half at plus 110. That one I don't like as much. I think that's probably about right. Even in a four-set match, six breaks. Maybe there's a bit of value there just because it's on the plus money side. It probably should be about minus 110, minus 115-ish. But even at minus 150, that Djokovic breaks prop. I hadn't really looked at the uh, derivatives, but now that Derek brought them up. What about... Alcaraz to win an over 37 and a half total games plus 185. I stared at that over under and I had no idea what to do with it. I like the over 38 and a half or actually you can get to over 38 for minus 125. It's like literally only five cents, which is insane actually on Bavada. So it's over 38 for minus 125. It's a little juiced, but I do think that at 38, you're less likely to fail in four compared to 39. At least get the push. I think these are going to be pretty chunky sets unless we get Aruna disappearing act from one of these guys. But we should see. I mean, every match less. I don't. I forget what the um, JPV match was, but Novak has played a tiebreak in almost every match so far. Seven five. I kind of like over thirty eight minus one twenty five. So if I, and I do like Alcaraz to win the match. Let's look at these set betting. Alcaraz three zero plus two ten. Alcaraz three one plus two ninety. Alcaraz three two plus four forty. If you like the Alcaraz side, that might be a, a good way to chase it and get yourself off the sweating the, the games. Do you think Alcaraz wins in straight sets? I, I feel like no, right? Yeah, probably not. I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't surprise me, honestly. It's it's just, there's so many, obviously there's so many possibilities. Don't want to state the obvious, but it's it's tough to really determine like how fit and ready is Novak. Does his Is his top level even enough to get him through Alcaraz, honestly, the way Alcaraz is playing this year, I don't even know if Al- uh, Djokovic's best gets him through. How does best of five impact this match? Does Alcaraz get error prone? Is Djokovic going to run out of steam or does a, a, a physical issue uh, pop up? There's just so many different machinations of how this match could play out that go into it. Ah, that's why I'm just, I'm comfortable just staying away. I think the breaks prop is, is all I, I think yeah, I'm going to be looking at. I'm going to stick with the over 38 at minus 125. Uh, just because I want to back Alcaraz, I do think, but they have him priced up so high, and I just uh, Novak scares me, man. The inner game, especially if it comes down to a tiebreak, like a fifth set tiebreak, first to ten. The guy hasn't had an unforced error in a tiebreak yet. He knows his footing in those pressure moments, and it's like as amazing as Alcaraz has been, I know he can fuck it up. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've seen it, so I'll just stick with the total here at uh, over thirty-eight. Minus 125. 
Derek, what's your play? Uh, I'm going to go with that. Win the first game, service game. Win the first set, win the match at plus 110. I would also recommend maybe low staking this match unless yeah. you're like super enthusiastic yep. about one side but th- this, th- this is a match you want to enjoy and not be tilting over your bets so just sit back and watch this one have something a little in pocket for for fun and, and don't take it too seriously if you're on the east coast you might be able to day drink a little bit it's 10 a.m too early not if it's a mimosa right all right guys screwdriver maybe mimosa yeah mimosa or screwdriver mimosa is literally breakfast booze like let's be real here I I do wish I could get out to some bar at that early. I'm sure there are bars open, but it's a little. Well, little maybe aggressive. in LA, we we can't even serve here till 11 a.m. It's illegal. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, 11 to two, 11 to two a.m. It's and definitely that's not, last call. Definitely not illegal. Just uh, aggressive for a father of two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Casper uh, Rude is taking on Alan, Alexander Zverev in the other semifinal. Zverev is two and one head to head. The last time they played came last year in Miami with Rude picking up a three-set win, 6-3-1-6-6-3 as a nice dog. Zverev won in straight sets indoors in Paris in 2021, 7-5-6-4. Also won that year in 2021 in Cincinnati, 6-1-6-3. Zverev has come a long way since earlier in the year where he needed 80% or more of his first serves to land to even stand a chance of winning. But I would offer here, well, I should set the table actually before I get into that. Let me set the table first. Zverev is a short favorite, minus 120. Casper Ruud is even money on the money line. The total is 39.5, so they're expecting this thing to go long. This, ooh, boy, oh boy, does the under sound pretty good. This is, uh, I'll, I'll get into that here in a minute, but all right, guys. I'm going to posit the second serve of Zverev does provide a pathway here for Ruud. Against Echeverry, Zverev only landed 69% of his first serves and won only 39% of his second serve points, 15 of 38. Ruud is not the type of returner. You want to be losing second serve points too routinely and, and unlikely for Rude to win only 41% of his second serve points like Echeverry, which offered a lifeline to Zverev for his victory. Last match, similar story for Zverev in the Dimitrov match, won only 34% or 11 of 32 of second serve points versus Dimitrov, but Dimitrov only won 27% or 10 of 37 second serve points of his own. Uh, Zverev was also able to save 14 of 16 break points in that match. Scam alert. <laughs> <laughs> Big did server little, scam alert. Server scam alert. Uh, did a little better versus Tiafo, winning 49% of his second serve points, but ate up Tiafo's second serve with Big Foe only winning 34% or 13 of 38. Sheesh. Rude has only been sub 50% on his second serve points one. In one match, that was against Zhang at 47% or 18 of 38. Zhang actually not a too dissimilar comps as Zverev, to be honest. Seems like break points are likely to be coming heavy uh, and often for both players. It's going to be who's able to serve themselves out of trouble. Uh, Diabetes, always a concern now for Zverev. He's more public about that issue. Talked about that in the last pod, that if it goes to over four to five hours, it's not great for Big Z. I did win a five-set match this year at the AO versus Juan Pablo Vareas. However, match went only four hours and nine minutes, so he got it done just over the four-hour mark. Played a five-setter last year against Baez here at Roland Garros, but that only went three hours and 39 minutes. So it's been a while since he's been tested pretty deep into the fourth, almost fifth hour of a match. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I like I like Zverev here. Rude's, Rude's serve is just a little too vulnerable for me. As he, like The heaviness is not going to concern Zverev as much as it, as it did someone like Runa, clearly. Much worse returners were able to pick 
their spots and find plenty of breakpoint opportunities. Zverev has a huge serve. He has the, the advantage on serve. He has a huge advantage on the backhand. At a huge disadvantage on the forehand. There's no denying that. But he's just got a bit more of a clay court pedigree too. I think he's got a game that's a little more complete. He moves just as well. I mean, Runa made Rude look like Speedy Gonzalez out there with, with his drop shot. His drop shots that were just terrible. And Rude got to every single one of them. Now, Runa still won some of the points because he took advantage of Rude not being able to get back in position uh, to cover the other the other side of the court when he was up there. But Rude got to almost every single drop shot, right? That, to me, I still think the the, the court coverage and the movement a little bit uh, on Zverev's side. The net game certainly on Zverev's side. The Like I said, the pedigree here for me is on Zverev's side. There's not a whole hell of a lot outside of forehands that I think favors Rude in this spot. And a lot of people who are going to be betting Rude will just be telling you, like, I don't know. I guess I guess the second serve is one thing, and he does protect it better than Zverev, we, and, and he hits fewer double faults. But I don't know where else Rude is actually better than Alex Zverev. Enough for me to have this a pick him. I mean, I have Zverev as a clear favorite in my numbers. I'm not saying Rude shouldn't be in the like like over plus 150. Like he's obviously well above the 40 percent, 45 percent chance to win this match. It's a close match. I just don't think Zverev is. Um, again, he's not. A pick for me. It's not like a, a 50-50 match, or I guess because of the vague 53-53 match, if you will, for the 6% hold or 5% hold or whatever. I, I do have him as the favorite here, so I'll be betting Alex or Sasha. Yeah, I guess I'm on the rude side. I, I mean, I do think that Zverev is a better player. I do think he has the tools to beat Rude, but dude, he just sucks in big moments. And it, I don't know. You saw it at the U.S. Open when he was in the final. Um, you see it at, against Medvedev like every single time. He just can't get over these big humps. And I don't know. I, I just don't think he's headstrong enough to win the semifinal to make it to the final here. That's my full analysis. It's uh, I just don't think I he's going to win, even though I think he's a better player. I want to talk about the the total here. So you can get up to 40 at minus 125, similar to the last match getting to the under. So it's only 10 cents to, to get off the half game at 39. I mean, a, a, a 40 total in a clay court setting is is super hot. Like the, the amount of ways that that could fail is like, I almost want to play that just on principle. It could easily get there. I mean, because these Zverev could get a lot of holds. You could have a 7-5, 7-6, 6-4 first three sets. But then you're still kind of sweating into the fourth. Like, you still needed to get there. I, I just, that's just way too high for me for the amount of ways in which it could fail. I'm going to play that for sure. The under 40 and minus 125. As far as who's going to win this match, I'm, I'm going to side with Rude as well, actually, sadly. I, and I'm kind of in line with Derek here. I'm feeling the steady Eddie versus Zverev, who he's got a lot of variants, man. Like, even like the whole diabetes thing, like the dude could go aggro depending on his blood sugar. Or it could just be like a dud. Sugar goes too low. It just seems like there's a lot of ways for this to fail. He did get over the line versus Etcheberry, but I also question Zverev's ability to get over the line in a, in a big match like this. What so do you think about his serve? Like in Rude returning, do, do you think that I don't think it's going to be fully neutralized as in Zverev's serve would be fully neutralized by Rude's return? But I think that it's going to be partially, I don't know, kicked back. Like I don't think that he's going to have his full weapon at at service i don't know i also just think it's just, just gonna freaking just lose it himself it's just something i feel in my balls you know i will say for one i don't think rude's an elite returner not even close to it uh mm. he's a solid returner he's it's not a weakness but he's not 
he's not what I think people make him out to be. Just he is solid from the baseline. Like he 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 do he does move decently. All the things you need. He doesn't mind long rallies. He can prolong points. All the things you need to be a good returner. But it's just he doesn't break on outside of that Runa match, of course, on the regular or nearly enough for me. Uh, the slow conditions help him though. We see, we see an altitude. He's one tournaments in altitude, but when he comes up against a big server, he's in trouble up, up, up there. I think that the, the other part of this too is if Zverev serves consistently with that first serve to the rude, and I think his team is pretty strong and he's generally okay tactically. Like when you're sitting here saying, oh my God, this is working. X shot to X wing of Y player or X shot to Y wing of Z player, whatever the algebraic terminology is, is working. Why aren't you picking on that? What are you doing? There are players who... It's like, man, I'm winning all my points hitting to their backhand, and I'm tied at five all. I wonder why. Maybe it's because half the points I still I, I still hit to their forehand. It's like, what should I do? You know, like they actually struggle with like, how do I win points even though there's a clear path? Zverev, I don't think struggles with that. And boy, if he is hitting his first serves consistently to the rude backhand, I don't give a damn if he falls into patterns. What the hell is rude going to do? Cheat and just return with a forehand, leave the other end of the court wide open? If he does that, I think he wins anyway. But if he is tactically picking on that backhand with his first serves, which win at a very high rate, he's got a very strong first serve, as we all know. Root is 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 genuinely screwed. But that that again, that's a tactical thing that I've I've started to lessen in my handicap. Like I waited a bit less because I realized for a long time you can have a tactical advantage, but some players, Denis Shapovalov, are just too stupid to utilize the advantage. So you. It can throw your numbers off. You're like, wait a minute, he's got a huge advantage, but he doesn't use it, and now my numbers are fucked because are screwed because, um, you know, he's too stupid, and that 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 messes up your your betting. So, I think it's there for Zarev that advantage, but it doesn't weight very heavily in my numbers just because again I have to see him actually doing it to to kind of allow myself to to factor that in big time. I mean, if Zverev lands 75% or more of his first serves for the first three sets, he's going to win this in straight sets. That's a fact. Yes, I agree with you. Oh, yes, but I mean, even if he lands 66%, 65%, and he's putting them to the backhand wing, I think 65% picking on that backhand as much as possible is just as effective as 75% going back and forth and willy-nilly, right? I think, like, you can give up a few percentage points if you're if you're placing them well and intelligently, it's worth more, especially in a matchup with Rude, who's got such a great forehand and such a garbage backhand. Agreed. Well, we got both sides, which is... It's probably good uh, on a lose. podcast where we, well, we, <laughs> it's not that we can't lose, but we offer both perspectives, <laughs> uh, which is sort of the point of content like this. So there you go. Oh, before we move on to the grass courts of the United Kingdom, don't forget to check out the French juniors final. Great chance to see some up and comers. I'm actually not sure how you watch that. I, I, ESPN plus is very easily accessible, uh, yeah. but so I'm not quite sure how to check it out, but some guys that, well, Lerner Tien that was in the uh, the final of the AO. I believe he lost to Blockix, though. Yeah, you're right. He lost to Blockix in the final. 11-9 in a third set tiebreak. Woo! So, yeah, that put Lerner Tien on my radar watching that match and uh, picked up a... Well, I'm one-on-one one with him. Well, we, we bet him first set against Green, and then I also bet him first set at plus 200 against Struff. So, But, man, this is a good chance to get in on the ground floor of some of these players. Um, before the books really know what to do with them. I want to throw out there too, don't sleep on, like on, on the boys' side, I believe all four are pretty damn good players. Now, Blanche, you'll look, a lot of tennis hipsters will recognize that name because that is the third Blanche following in, into pro tennis, I suppose, behind Ulysses, 
And behind, I believe this is Darwin, and Dolly Blanche is the middle child. But Darwin, gosh, it's either there's he's either Dolly and his older brother is Darwin or or reverse. But I will say the youngest one is supposed to be the best, is the point I'm trying to get at here. And he's in the semifinals taking on Dino Prismich, who obviously is already in the, I believe, in the top 250 in the world on the men's like world ranking. So we don't really need to go into Dino Prismich. Extremely two, 293. Right. Extremely high, barely as I see. Or top 250. Damn it. I was going to go with 300 too. Idiot. Um, but I believe this is Darwin. I, and he's the best of the three brothers, or at least the most talented. Obviously, not the best right now. It's 15. Prismich, we know. Known commodity, very solid from the baseline, has added a bit to his forehands, can still be absolutely pummeled by like men with big ground strokes. And then the other one with with teen, Juan Carlos Prado Angelo was brought to my attention in South American Challengers when he was 15 or 16 years old. He's got a forehand. The, the kid is very good. And he took out one of probably the best prospect we've seen. I don't even want to say since Carlos Alcaraz because that's unfair to the kid. But probably since Carlos Alcaraz, his name is Tis Bugard who just dominates all this, all the competition against uh, kids his age. He lost to Prado Angelo here. And now he's 14 years old. So at this time, at this, at their ages, when you beat the crap out of your own age group, because you're still developing so much year by year, playing guys three, four years old, you is very tough. You don't see a lot of 14 year olds in the French Open, French Open juniors draw. He won a match here before losing to the Bolivian. That's a good win because Tis Bugard is ridiculously talented and he will be someone we talk about three years from now on this podcast. Uh, and Prado Angelo, very good baseline game, has played some pro stuff in South America at the challenger level with wild cards. Very raw, but don't sleep on him either. Four very talented juniors in the in the boys' draw at Roland Garros. And you know, we've seen talent like Felix Ojeda was runner up here once, once upon a time. Lost to Joffre Blancano, which could you imagine that happening today? <laughs> like just craziness. But uh, I remember watching that match when I think he was 16. On the women's side, Corneva uh, is one to watch, I will say, even though this is an ATP podcast. I don't know the other three that well. But Corneva, big hitter, big talent. Uh, she's someone that hasn't really come up to the pros, but I think she lost to Mira Andreeva in a relatively close second set at the Australian Open in the juniors. And we all know Mira Andreeva now. Very good. She's looking for her second straight uh, slam uh, junior final. And if she's doing this on clay, someone to watch because she hasn't yet hit the pros. So the books haven't really seen her yet. Mira Andreeva, the value is already gone. That's one, even though this is a men's podcast, I want to say to to watch for because she's going to get to an ITF event somewhere. And be like a plus four hundred dog when she should be minus one fifty. Those are the mis- those mistakes you can only take advantage advantage of at the ITF uh, level. You're going to find those opportunities in the coming months. I love it, John. I absolutely, love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. All right. Well, we still have a little business to attend to uh, over in the United Kingdom, where they're playing on grass finally. And Surbiton, our guy, Jason Kubler, McCubler, Kubler is a massive dog versus Andy Murray. Kubler's down. He was like 250, but he's down 30 cents since we've started. It's plus 220 on the money line for Kubler. Andy Murray is a minus 300 favorite. Are you effing serious? Three and a half game spread here. 22 is the total. As a podcast, uh, we are uh, 100% playing Jason Kubler here. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, it's only three and a half games. This is the tough part of grass season is even with plus 250s, I'm like, give me a four. Give me a four. It's not even close, bro. The four is like minus 165. And then the three and a half is minus 110. They are like, it is a one break match, essentially. And I'm will I will always be on the overs here to back McCubler. It's 22 and a half. That's a hardcore over. 
I would probably be on the over on a, on a hard court anyway. Uh, and this is even quicker. Like, Rinky Hijikata can't be broken right now. Think about that. Yeah. Some grass courts aren't that fast, as Riley Apelka would say about Wimbledon. This, these are not, these are not those slower grass courts, bro. Ricky Hijikata is unbreakable. Boo Yunchao Kede was broken like once or twice against Andy Murray. For those who don't know, Boo is a very, you know, not not Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird, but that's every time I see that name, I think of Boo Radley. But I digress. <laughs> he was barely broken against Andy Murray. Guy doesn't have a huge serve. He likes the low bounce. Okay, he he hits very flat. These courts are gonna are gonna go well for him. And he counter punches pace. It's not like Murray's giving him a ton of pace that he's shooting into an open court. And Murray can't get over there. He's just a nasty grinder type. But because your game plays up on the surface, if you're okay on grass courts, it's really tough to break you in Serbian. Kubler's game plays up. He's got a bit more pop than he gets credit for. He's got a good a decent serve, and he likes grass. He likes flatter courts. He's Australian. Aussies ha- are like the only other freaking country on earth that has pro grass events at the ITF level. But still, they're, the courts exist there. They play on them. But I don't. I, I think the over here looks really tasty. Plus the over plus dog ML combination here. A signature John A Reed signature. play. <laughs> I'm in full agreement. I love it. Uh, the other matchup uh, that there's a line for right now is uh, Constant Lestien. Taking on Zizou Bergs, who somehow was mentioned in like the first four podcasts that we did this year before before joining the witness protection program from this podcast. <laughs> Rightfully so. Um now I can find a plus one forty for Les Tien. Uh there's a plus one fifty out there too. Pinnacles. I, I I mean I understand the raw power of Bergs here. Like I it's a, a huge power mismatch okay i mean he could blow lestian off the court that said bergs is maybe one of the most like poor shot decision makers like that exists on the tour and i lestian i think is gonna get into a serve man like make him play a little bit more than he would care to at this grass event um the 23 and a half i can find here at minus 111 kind of like the over in that one too what are the set overs here? Because like you said, I, I want to go back to that point you made real quick about sh- uh, decision-making with shots and point construction. That's more obviously more, it's rewarded more on clay, but on return, Lestien has a sneaky good serve and he's got the variety and the slice and he counter punches really well. He's like a male Daria Snigur is what I, I was watching her. I bet her at plus 162 the other day, one and a half unit uh, big bet because it was just a stupid line. She of course wins in straight sets. Like it, Bog, mind-bogglingly stupid line, but they play the very same, the, the kind of similar way. They prefer hard courts, but the game plays up a bit on on grass courts, so they're less vulnerable behind their serve and they're counter punching. Like they they're slap happy. They keep it flat sometimes, and if you give them pace and they time it up, they'll go cross court, cross court, cross court to get a feel for the timing on that ball. After three or four of those shots, if you don't switch it up and you don't construct the point and make them move and give them different looks. They have your shot time. They will take that ball in their backhand. And they'll slap it down the line with your own pace being used against you. That's where I think Bergs could run into trouble, especially on Lestien's serve. The first set overs here really intrigued me because they're still up. I mean, a tiebreak is plus 250 at bet 365. Opened at plus 275. It's not down that much. Uh, Pinnacle's down to three, or 235. But 
that doesn't I, birds is not a good returner he's not a great point construction guy but he's got a monster serve of his own i mean lestian has to actually get into the points before he can exploit that on return right um and that's my concern that's where we differ a bit i think we were on the same wavelength until that he's going to get into the Berg's service games entirely possible because Berg's is an idiot. But if Berg's, oh damn, see, this is again, if he comes to net behind his serve, he's got enough net game there to put points away quickly and not let him do that. But this comes back to what I said earlier, the tag, like the opening is there for Berg's. Does he have the intelligence to actually employ said tactic? I don't know. I kind of like the set overs though. Um, honestly, uh, more than I like a less 10 money line, or like you said, the over 23 and a half as well. This could absolutely, you know what, that over might be better than the set overs just because, or the over two and a half sets here. This is another classic example of Berg's, Berg's red line wins. Berg's looking like an idiot loses. The possibility of both those things happening in the same match is very high. We see it, we see it all the time with him. And less 10 is the solid guy on the other end of the net that's there to capitalize when he's not playing well, but is not good enough to like, deal with his red line. You know what I mean? Well, Lestien is, is, from what I've seen from the quotes coming from that tournament, it sounds like he's playing with a lot more confidence and feels really good compared to his previous form. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure I, I, I want to go jumping in on the money line, but the over, I think, is a, a good look. I think it's going to be a potentially tight match um, because Bergs is, like, uh, bad. <laughs> How on earth on a fast court is the over 23 and a half minus 102 and the over two and a half sets is only plus 112 at the same book. That to me is mind boggling because on grass, this is where it is the only surface where 23 and a half can be done consistently in, in straight sets. Like I'm not that over sets actually off of there's a one twenty three out there at Unibet. Still, though, I'd rather have the over, over 23 and a half, considering this can be covered in two sets. And you intend, like, usually that over two and a half sets is to entice me to go say it, it needs three to get the over, but I don't think it does. And it's not enough of a price jump uh, or price reduction for me to go to the sets here. I think I'm with you on the games. All right. Well, There's a t- my walking out the 23. door, my walking out the door, popper and call, uh, I need to take the L on. But Jordan Thompson is playing the the pop and roll. The, the I believe he did he win this last year. Is that what? Yes, and he's on track. He in he's the on... final. He won twelve matches. He won one of them. Yeah, he won this and lost in the final in Nottingham. That's right. Okay, I knew he was in both. Finals. So I should have stuck with JT. Wrong Australian, but he's looking like he'll probably be rinky. He's going to be a massive favorite. Last thing, Gabriel Diallo, your countryman. We mentioned on the last pod, wasn't sure what it was going to be like as he was coming on the grass for the first time. Well, I'll tell you what it's like. Two big dog wins so far for Diallo. Pretty cool. Him and Kovacevic, man, both have the games, just didn't have the experience. Kovacevic out first round, but he won a set in a match. He was a plus 200 dog um, to Chris Eubanks in. Gabriel Diallo, plus 150 average close, beats Liam Brody, plus 200 average close, beats Dan Evans. Two Brits, a little more used to the grass. Second win, obviously, much more impressive than the first with Brody's wrist issues going on right now. But he's got the game. I mean, can he get into Wimbledon? Yeah, he's going to be in Wimbledon qualities. 
Like he's 146 in the world. I don't know how the hell he ripped up that fast. Where the hell were the results coming from? But the point is, uh, watch out because he's going to be very close to unbreakable, right? Like the kid is tall and he's got a monster serve. If he, if you know, I would not with with what he's done this week already. It only takes two matches. Like I said, you have to make these decisions much quicker, right? Because you don't have time to wait for a sample here. But those are impressive wins. And he's a little less erratic for me than than Yuri Rodionov. That could be a play uh, out of Pickham. He is in Wimbledon quality. So certainly someone, he's going to be unseated. You do not, if you're if you're one of the two seeds in each section, you do not want to see him as one of the unseated guys if you're freaking drunk because you're like, how the hell am I breaking him? Like, it's going to be tiebreak city for me to win. Another name to, to keep out for, Antoine Bellier. I saw he uh, posted on his Twitter. Now, here he lost in the qualifying here, but wouldn't be shocked if he does something this grass season as a serve and volley guy. You mentioned in the last podcast. Yeah, lefty too. I be- I think he's a lefty. Um, yeah, part. Lefty games can throw people off. Huge serve, serve and volley. He's just a really, really bad version of Marc-Andrea Huesler. Like, right down to the fact that he's Swiss and all. Like, he's just so bad from the baseline. <laughs> it's just, he could be rushed. He does it like he's erratic. But he has power. He has a first serve. He's comfortable at net, and he's got a lefty game. Those things alone, sadly, are enough to potentially carry you on grass. I I don't I'm not a fan of it. Like I don't want to see him do well because I believe in you know entertaining tennis and and rewarding good players and he's neither of those things. But I agree with you from a betting perspective. If you're going to start getting plus two three hundreds, you hold your nose, you bet it, and if you lose, you get to you get to take solace in the fact that you don't have to watch Antoine Bellier anymore. All right, we're talking about Antoine Bellier, so we have officially said it all. <laughs> <laughs> Follow John. At Jared tweets tennis at Tibbetts tennis. Follow Derek at Frere versus Nagal. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Please do subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. Not sure we will be back for the final. That's TBD, but we will be back early next week for grass season. So until next time, see you in the court.